0: Let's talk Pirates basketball at the garden.
1: Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around it in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pound from Trent. What Trent makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate. From San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Dizzieri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. He is the host of Biggie East Shootaround and has been seen on many outlets, including Fox Sports 1, NBA TV, Big East Digital Network, ESPN+, Plus most importantly he's an alum of seton hall and a friend to the podcast please welcome to left coast pirates live john fanta john how are you today and most importantly
0: have you found your phone (laughs) there's not a better introduction than the one i get on left coast pirates how am i madness mode that's how i am because it's the best time of the year have i found my phone well, no, I think it's in some sort of a dumpster in Illinois. I've uh, either lost <laughs> it, or taken. someone ran off with it in Chicago based on the find my iPhone. So I was in Chicago for the big East women's basketball tournament, trying to track down the iPhone. Don't know where it went. It's a brand new iPhone 11, three weeks old. Somebody wow. runs off with it. but you know what? That's why you get insurance showed up to <laughs> the T-Mobile with the $200 deductible down. And they're shipping it to Hoboken. So at some point, after one of these biggies tournament days, I got to zip back to the apartment, set up the new iPhone. And I can assure you that hopefully, for your sake, I've got that iPhone on Championship Saturday night taking a video of the blue and white cutting down a net that's what i'm talking
2: about john Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves here we're getting way ahead of
0: ourselves
2: (laughs) all right Uh, speaking of the women's Big East tournament john seems like you kim sarah megan and lisa had a pretty full schedule last week covering the tournament give me some of the highlights from that week
0: well you guys get to see me on video and you probably are seeing the after effects of me being up till 4 a.m doing karaoke after the championship game Uh, some of the highlights the big east women's basketball tournament Well, DePaul, they roll through the field. It's their third straight Big East tournament title. And the last three Big East women's tournaments have all been at Wintrust Arena in Chicago. The Blue Demons have, they've owned the league, guys. Uh, Over the last, now, seven seasons, DePaul is a combined 125 and 22 against Big East competition. It's kind of a a best-kept secret of how good they've been. But... As Doug Bruno said to me after the game, we better enjoy this while it lasts because UConn's coming back and we're going to have to raise our <laughs> level. But here's what can be said about about DePaul: not only did they win this tournament title, uh, their biggest test came from Seton Hall. By the way, Tony Basile's Pirates okay. only lost by three in what was a great game in women's basketball, 83 to 80. It's the perfect advertisement for the sport, offense. On offense, on offense, and Tony Bazella's freshman, Maya Jackson and Lauren Park Lane, did not quit. And so there's a future for Seton Hall women's basketball with Coach Bazella and the job that he's doing. They're going to go to the WNIT, and you think about what the Seton Hall women's program was. They've now gone to six of the last seven postseasons, and that speaks to what Coach Bazella's done. But for DePaul, they're going to host the NCAA tournament first weekend. And for a Big East women's team, not named UConn, who will be back next year, to host the first weekend, there's 16 teams in the country that host because you get broken up into uh, 14 pods. That's how the women do it. They don't do um, four straight games. They do two games at one site. DePaul's going to host the NCAA tournament. That's good news for them. It's good news for the Big East. It's well-deserved for Doug Bruno. A joy to work with Sarah Kustak, who played at DePaul and works with and Eagle on the YES Network. She is simply the best. Her basketball acumen's amazing, and Kim Adams is a dear friend, colleague, and star. And so um, I, I've been able to get my – start buttering my bread, if you will, uh, in women's basketball. That, that's where I've gotten my start, and I know that a lot of the fans that are listening to this are, are interested in men's basketball and what's going on this week. But what I can say is this, the women's game has evolved, the level of play is getting better, and I'm very grateful to have gotten my start in women's basketball – because it's helped me in a lot of different ways. And the coaches and the players, you know, Tom, Tony Bazal is a prime example of that, our first class. You
1: know, talking about the women's team, we got a chance to talk to Shadeen Samuels last week, and she kept talking about physicality and imposing their will. And that women's team, they did that. They, They owned the paint. They kept pounding it and pounding it. But for DePaul
0: shooting the lights out from three, it could have been a different story. It could have been a different story. To put this in context, folks, DePaul shot and made. They made 43 three-pointers in the Big East tournament in three games, a Big East tournament record. So Seton Hall just ran into a buzzsaw. They put up a championship effort. There's some nights in the Big East, men's or women's, where you play well, and that's just not good enough. So for the Seton Hall women, they're heading to the WNIT in all likelihood. They can make a run there. They'll host some games at Walsh Gym. It's a step in the right direction. And with UConn coming back next year, you might say, well, Seton Hall can't win the Big East with UConn in there. Okay, maybe so. But the goal is to get to the NCAA tournament. UConn will raise the RPI of the league. And if Seton Hall puts up the season that they just had, having played UConn, maybe they're in the conversation more to get in the NCAA tournament.
2: All right, John. So obviously we brought you on to talk Big East tournament, wrapping up the regular season. The last week in Big East action was exciting, obviously uh, culminating in the three-way tie for the Big East regular season title. Give me your thoughts on that final week of play.
0: Well, I think what we just talked about on the women's side applies a little bit for the Seton Hall men. Uh, They played solidly, and there were moments where they looked like themselves. It looked like the team that we've seen that that grew that three-game lead in the Big East standings. Uh, But it just wasn't good enough against Villanova. Defensively, I I thought that the biggest takeaway from the last week is, guys, this Seton Hall team, if they're going to make a run in the Big East and the NCAA tournament, it's got to start with defense. It's not starting with Miles Powell. It's not starting with Quincy McKnight or Omar Gill. It starts with a complete effort defensively. That is a Kevin Willard staple, and I felt like that went away last week. Villanova shot the lights out. They got whatever they wanted. Now – Villanova did a great job of exposing what other teams can't do because this year in college basketball, three-pointers have gone down. Efficiency from there has gone down. So you're willing to live with somebody taking a three. Villanova, they hit threes like it's their job, and that's who they are. And for them, that's as easy as a layup. So I thought for Seton Hall, I thought that they got exposed defensively because by hitting threes, Villanova took out Seton Hall's size. And Romaro Gil can't come out to the perimeter and guard out there. So then what happens is not only are they hitting threes, but Seton Hall's rim protection goes away. So between that and then I think sometimes when you play Villanova, there's side effects. There's side effects to playing Villanova. It's it's kind of like a a disease. You end up catching something and then you have to try to recover. It's like facing an ace pitcher. And then the next day, you face a number two who's probably not as good as the ace pitcher. But because you were so, you were just trying to adjust to facing Clayton Kershaw. Now you don't know how to face Walker Buehler because you're you're trying to just adjust to what he's throwing. So for Seton Hall, they go into a hornet's nest in Omaha, a place that Creighton had lost just one time. And you know, for the Pirates, it's unfortunate, but Creighton hit 12 of their last 13 shots. It's why they're a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. I think Seton Hall's fine. I think that these three teams know each other so well. And when you face each other now a third time, you almost want to face somebody who you haven't seen. And that'll be the case when Seton Hall faces a 13 or a 14 seed in the NCAA tournament, but they have to get back to who they are defensively. And here's where the big East regular season title got lost. I I just want to bring this up. It got lost when you no showed to Xavier at home and you no showed at Providence, not by – losing to Villanova and Creighton. Those are two teams who are really, really good. I completely agree. I think that they just
2: unfortunately don't match up well against Creighton and Villanova. They played their hearts out down in Philadelphia, so kudos to them. But I think you're right. If they get the right matchups in the NCAA tournament, and this gets talked about all the time, matchup, matchup, matchup. They're going to see teams that aren't familiar. They're going to see teams that have not had as much game film on them on a short turnaround from a Thursday to Saturday kind of situation. I think that's going to play into their style of getting row, you know, with people that are not un- or unfamiliar with as Tommy would say, his legit seven 2 height and impact in the middle. And, and that's going to kind of wear teams down or give them a look that they haven't seen all season.
0: So one thing that Jerry Carino, JP Pelsman and I have talked about throughout the season is that first weekend of the tournament. And I actually have had a disagreement with those guys and I'm going to unveil it here. Those guys have said, oh, I'm worried about the second round game. You know, I'm worried about a three, six game or, because they lost to Western Kentucky uh, back in the early 90s. Oh, uh, too soon,
1: John, too soon. Too irrelevant, you know Tommy,
0: Tommy, too irrelevant, man. Oh, it's just, come on. Too soon. Exactly. I, yeah, you know what? I'm going to jump in here with a follow-up rant, okay? <laughs> I don't care how loud I am in the hotel room. I am sick and tired. I'm sorry. This is the month for Seton Hall to form the memories that people remember and say, wow, remember when? Not, oh, remember that? When I was on my first year on Seton Hall coverage, guys, in 2014, and Villanova's up by a point in the Big East quarterfinals and Seton Hall calls timeout, every fan around me, I was on the baseline shooting it, every Seton Hall fan goes, Oh, we never win this game. It's over. We're done. Cooked. Beat. See you next year. Sterling hits a 15-footer. Pandemonium. They're going to the semifinals. So for Seton Hall fans, I said this to Jerry and JP. I said, Seton Hall is a momentum-based team. Throw out that 13 or 14 seed next to the team you're playing. That team has won their conference. They probably have seniors who know how to win. And for Seton Hall, they can't put up a clunker half in the NCAA tournament. I think there's a bigger chance that they put up a clunker half in the first game than the second game. This team feeds off momentum. If they put up a complete performance in game one of the NCAA tournament, I can assure you that will channel into that weekend. So I'm not as worried about who they face in the second game. Of course, if the matchup's wrong, the team I don't want to face, you can quote me on, is BYU. If Seton Hall's a three and BYU's a six, you don't want to face them. I've watched Yoli nah, Yoli
2: only, only child's a bad matchup. Yeah, bad bad matchup, matchup for Seton Hall.
0: But for Seton Hall, that first game is the hurdle. Because guess what, guys? they're going to have the target on their backs. Everybody in that arena that's not in blue and white is going to be rooting for the Cinderella. Seton Hall's got to be ready for that type of of a role. That's something this program has not gone through in a very, very long time. You don't think possibly being a
2: preferred seed in Albany, though, John, gives them a balance of that home court advantage where maybe they don't have the Cinderella fan kind of overwhelm them? they got a balanced crowd?
0: Well, not if they face Hofstra. You know, like, it just depends. It depends. What if they face Vermont? Uh, I was in Hartford last year, and Vermont had more fans than Florida State. That all depends on the draw. You know, what I would say to Seton Hall fans is don't just assume that Thursday afternoon they'll get by and you'll go to the Saturday game. That would be my message.
1: It might be late on the East Coast, but John's bringing the energy, let me tell you. John, let's talk about Big East Awards a little bit. We had our initial set announced already, but we still have some of the big hitters left. You mentioned Creighton. They took home one third of the Big East title after being chosen seventh in the preseason poll. Did Coach McDermott all but lock up Coach of the Year with his win over Seton Hall on Saturday?
0: In my mind, he did. Only two Big East teams finished higher than they were picked in the conference. Only only two Big East teams finished higher than they were picked. Creighton was picked. 7th, and they ended up now finishing in that three-way tie for first. Butler ends up picking, uh, getting up to fifth. St. John's, they finished eighth, but Uh, (laughs) whoop-dee-doo. The two teams that finished higher than they were picked, the main ones, are Creighton and Butler. For me, for Creighton, this is a team that lost Jacob Epperson in the preseason. They had major question marks around their front court. They were looked at as a soft team that didn't have an edge. Well, let me tell you, Marcus Zagorowski has given this team an edge. It's very unfortunate that he has a meniscus injury and is doubtful. Actually, excuse me, he's not playing in the Big East tournament. That's now been changed to he's not playing here in the recent hours. That's a huge blow to Creighton, a huge blow. So for the Blue Jays, I just look at the amount of injuries they've had to deal with and the job that Greg McDermott's done. He is my Big East coach of the year, in my humble opinion. He's locked that up. How about now, Mike Anderson and Patrick Ewan? Though
2: I know they were down in the standings, but I mean, what they worked with and what they had come account- now, no, I'm not saying win the, win the coach of the year, but we're talking about giving credit where credit's due. I, I thought they, you know, out coached
0: what they had on the floor. You, you don't get an award for finishing in the bottom. <laughs> no participation
2: awards. No participation awards.
0: I'm a Browns fan, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm I haven't even gotten a participation ribbon, so I'm not kind to people that finish near the basement. I'm Fact gonna bring to I'm gonna bring you a T-shirt next time I see you, John. Don't worry about it. Fact of the matter is this: Georgetown had high expectations, and I know things happen out of Patrick Ewing's control but it's still his program. As for St. John's, they impressed me, uh, but they didn't impress me in other areas. You know, there, there were moments where like they were on the doorstep of several games and Mike didn't get it they done worked. down the stretch. Uh, having said this, I'll come out hot right now. I think the winner of St. John's Georgetown, the door is open for them to knock off Creighton because Creighton doesn't have Zagorowski. St. Right. John's beats Georgetown and the Johnnies advanced the semifinals for the first time in a long time.
2: We, we didn't even
0: ask for predictions. John's Woo. already given us John's like the semifinals.
1: All right. Moving on to the Big East player of the year. All year long, everyone assumed it was going to be a horse race between miles Powell and Marcus Howard. Have players like Sadiq Bey, Tyshawn Alexander, or even Kamar Baldwin moved the needle enough to get into the mix? I mean, Marquette's been disappointing. Miles Powell has been playing under his normal Superman level. Does someone sneak in here?
0: I don't see it. I just think with Villanova, they're systematic in their approach. And so as a result, Sadiq Bey's greatness almost gets taken away a little bit. Uh, And you could say, well, Villanova's had other... Uh, Big East players of the year that, that were part of that system. Uh, but I just don't know if Bay is is the guy who makes the biggest impact in the Big East in a single game. It's still Miles Powell because Romaro Gill's not the defensive player and most improved player of the year if Miles Powell's not on the same floor. I, I firmly believe that. Quincy McKnight is not the player that he is right now if Miles Powell's not on the same floor. And Sandra Momukilashvili is definitely not where he is right now without the attention that miles draws from a defense. I would still pick Powell team success breeds individual success. If you gave me Creighton, Seton hall and Villanova, I'm going to pick one, one player from one of the regular season champions. I'll ride with 13. (laughs) I'll I'll ride him right down here from where I am 42nd and 3rd. On a high horse to MSG. What Trenton makes, the world
2: takes. I oh, like t- it. I, I, I got to bring the two of you back in. Kamar Baldwin had one heck of a finish to end the regular season uh, at Xavier, though. I mean, I, that was that one heck of a put-you-on-the-back
0: performance and he's clutch three-pointer. I mean, he's he great, have, right? He could have a Kemba Walker-type week in the in the Big East tournament. If it's close down the stretch, you do not want KB3 with the basketball. Not at all. Not at all. And so some of these guys we did mention also
1: were named to the first team for the Big East. We got Kamar Baldwin, Tyshawn Alexander, Marcus Howard, uh, Miles Powell, Sadiq Bey, and Najee Marshall, who we didn't mention from Xavier. But personally, I think
2: my Polish
1: brother, Marcus Zegorowski, got hosed here. Do you think you can make a case for anyone else on that first team?
0: No, I think Zagorowski did get hosed. I agree with you. Colin Gillespie also does so many little things for Villanova that I found it I found that he could have been on the first team as well. But other than those two players, guys, I don't think that there's a guy that you sit there and say, oh yeah, he's a he's a first teamer for sure. Uh, you know, Tyreek Jones had a great season. He he had he's had double doubles at the rate of Angel Delgado, but wasn't even considered for first team. Also, Xavier's had a disappointing season. You know, if Sandra Mamukalashvili performed at the level of the whole season that he has in the last month, we'd be talking about him as an all biggies first team candidate. We really would. But that's why
2: I thought Najee Marshall would have fallen to a second team and you would have I had Zach on the first team, right? Same reason
0: with Jones there. Always. Team success breeds individual success. I will say that till I die because it's true. You know, Miles Powell and I have had candid conversations. Um, off camera about what a coach, a scout, somebody's looking for. You know, I've been to the NBA combine. Uh, I've talked with coaches around this league and asked them about players. They want winners, they want players who elevate others. And at the end of the day, whether it's coaching, I'm not going to blame Marcus Howard. Okay. We're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids, but the level that Miles Powell makes others around him better and is always the guy that's at the top of people's scouts, is getting doubled, even tripled at times, I I still would lean with him as the player of the year. Moving on to defensive player of the
1: year. Since I'm such a homer and Mikey knows I love the big blocks, I'm ecstatic that Romaro Gill won the defensive player of the year award. However, John, I'm going to ask you, Tyshawn Alexander had some impressive outings shutting down both Miles Powell and Marcus Howard over four games. And additionally, another pirate, Quincy McKnight, always drew the toughest defensive assignment, and he held his own. In your opinion, did they get the right player?
0: I think that Tyshawn Alexander deserved this award. He was the top Big East defensive player in efficiency rating, that metric. And I know we're pulling out the numbers here but he held the Big East top two scorers um, really at bay. The fact that Miles Powell in Newark only attempted six shots when Seton Hall played Creighton, that's unbelievable. And Powell let the game come to him, but still, how does that even happen? You know, I, I just thought that Tyshawn Alexander did a did a great job in that game of making sure he didn't get the basketball and, and couldn't get going, so – for me, you know, I, I look at the job Alexander's done on those primary scores, and I think that you have to give it to him. But for Romaro Gill, it's an incredible achievement. And it's kind of further evidence, guys. The coaches are voting on these awards, sometimes the national publicity. Like, Romaro Gill got more national attention. And so the coaches sometimes go off that. And also, do you see Tyshawn Alexander guarding Miles Powell in the Center highlight? No. no. You see Romaro Gill blocks, though.
1: Now – Romaro must be feeling like he's at the bar because he's double fisting it right now. He's got defensive player of the year and he won most improved. Now, personally, we've been apologizing to Romaro for two whole years by saying we were just expecting him to be a warm body and five fouls. John, how impressed have you
0: been with his progress? I've been very impressed. It's as surprising of a development of a player Uh, that I have ever seen. I mean, I'm serious. I I can't in my seven years really covering the sport closely. I can't tell you how shocked I was by like the first really conference play was when he got going. You know, it's when we thought that he had shifted into a different gear, but man, oh man, when leap play kicked in, he was showing he was the best center in the big East to go from a block a game to four, to go from basically maybe a basket at the junior college level to being a guy who's going to dunk for you three, four, five times in a game. Um, Somebody said to me, guys, somebody said to me last week, they said, you know, he's a liability against teams that space the floor because he's so big and can't come out on them. And I said, yeah, but he's good for 10 points a game because of his pick and roll and the pressure he puts on at the rim. And that person said back to me, Yeah, but it's not worth it when you're giving up open threes. You know, I, I err on two sides to that, Tom, because you just said it like for a guy that can slam it down like that at seven foot two, we're so unfamiliar with that as close seat and hall followers that it's a it's a big time luxury. The balance of that though, of having him having him guard the perimeter is tough. But in terms of his offensive ability, for a guy that had stone hands and couldn't catch, I mean, he couldn't catch a fluffy football if I tossed it to him last year, to what he's doing with the basketball this season, it is pretty impressive. But he got better. I mean, in the Creighton game itself
2: relative to closing out, I don't want him chasing guys on the three-point line, but when he got his fourth foul with 10 minutes to go, that was the turning point. When he came off the floor and the dynamic of the defense changed, that's when Creighton went on their run. It, It was obvious.
0: Yes, no question about it. Uh, that's the that's the dynamic there that you have to you have to wrestle. And he has gotten so much better. And credit to Grant Billmeyer. I mean, I don't think I'll be I won't be surprised at all when Grant Bill Meyer is a head coach. He's absolutely on that trajectory. Not sure where it'll exactly be. Fairly Dickinson's been a rumor when Greg Herenda steps down, but Romaro Gill's material growth is something to behold and something for Hall fans to relish. He's about to bring the roof down at Madison Square Garden this week. All right, John.
2: So if, if hypothetically Roe did not have this you know, great success this year and win most improved player, I honestly think that Quincy McKnight might have been up for this award. And when we had you on before the Battle of Atlantis, we were even debating whether it should be Q and Nelson splitting more time. We couldn't have been more farther from the truth in that conversation as to what Quincy has done in his role as more of a true point guard running this offense. What do you have gotten most improved player if Roe wasn't here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. In in my opinion, I think that Quincy McKnight, uh, I I think he would have gotten defensive player uh, of the year, potentially for a little while until Tyshawn Alexander made his late surge. You would have said Quincy McKnight was a candidate for defensive player of the year. But I would would say he's most improved. And I, I say that because you just look at him last year, You know, he averages over three assists per game. This year, he's averaged around six in conference play. I mean, that's unbelievable to double your production and assists in this league. A Big East conference that, guys, isn't sending three tournament teams and then St. John's is the last team in. It's going to probably send seven teams, and Quincy McKnight doubled his production. He's up to 12 points a game. He showed us in that. Who stepped up in the biggest Seton Hall win of the season? The Maryland win. Quincy McKnight. I was going to say Anthony Nelson, but okay. Well, <laughs> I still Yeah, you know, I, I just I don't think we know how good we have it until he'll be out. Um, he's been exceptional. I mean, I, you can't overstate it. And and being around this team closely, Quincy McKnight is the killer of this team. He's the glue of this team. He demands the best out of everybody. If Miles Powell's having a cold shooting night. Quincy McKnight is not going to accept a pouting miles Powell. He's out there to win the ball game. And that matters within a locker room. The numbers speak for themselves in his development, but he always had this Quincy McKnight was always a scorer. He averaged 20 points per game at sacred heart. A lot of NEC coaches when he transferred said that they didn't think he could be a big East guard. Can you believe that even the coaches <laughs> were wrong on him?
2: All right, John. Let, let's get it. Let's get into the Big East tournament and kind of start diving into things that we want to see happen or have to happen. You already kind of alluded to it. Seven teams potentially in the NCAA tournament field, but after that crushing loss for his Butler, how much work does Xavier have to do just to consider it to be safe?
0: Well, I think that they have to beat DePaul, and if they beat DePaul, they're going to get in the tournament. Uh, they still have very few blemishes. And that matters for Xavier. They didn't, if they beat DePaul, they will have not lost to the Blue Demons. The win at Seton Hall changed their season. If they lose that game, Xavier's probably not in the field of 68. But with how soft the bubble is, that win has unlimited mileage on it. It is Xavier's gold treasure. They don't have many Quadra One results. I believe they might have four, uh, and that's about it. But for the Musketeers, I think if they beat DePaul, they'll be in. They might be in Dayton but they will get a unit out of the big East. I don't think they have to beat Villanova to make the NCAA tournament. And I don't think that loss, if they did lose is going to affect them. Here's one fact on Xavier. They are the only team in the big East to make the semifinals of the tournament in each of the last six years. So there's something about Xavier performing in the big East tournament that's worked, but they got their work cut out for them. Uh, because if you're going to get there, you got to beat a rested Villanova team, and I don't see that happening. But I think that the Musketeers will get in by the skin of their teeth if they can beat DePaul.
2: I like that matchup for them. I like Tyreek Jones pounding away inside against Villanova yeah. personally.
0: Well, it's an interesting dynamic, but it's kind of like Romaro Gill. Uh, Tyreek scores more than Gill, but if Villanova comes out and is hitting threes, good luck. All right, let's talk about some of the other teams.
2: What else can those – other teams that are in the field of 68 accomplish relative to their seed line with a couple wins or, you know, running the table, or could they actually even go the opposite direction, drop a few seed lines?
0: Well, I think that Marquette is in danger of dropping to a 10 or an 11 seed. If they lose a uh, seat in hall, because that, that will, if I believe that would lead them to lose eight of their final nine games, I
2: think it's seven of eight, I think at this point. Yeah,
0: that's bad. You know, that's a team that's trending in a terrible direction. Steve Ojahowski's seat has got to start to at least get into some question because he's not doing a good job there. This is two straight years that they have not closed well. Let's face it. Butler could get up to the five line, I think, if they could win a game or two. got to remember, guys, they started 15-1. and And if you're judging the whole body of work, remember the Bulldogs were number five in the country. They were one of the top three teams in the net rankings. I still think those metrics matter. I think that the Bulldogs can help themselves. They can bid past Providence. Providence to me is going to be on on the seven or eight line, you know. If they can make the Big East championship game, maybe a seven. But they still have so many blemishes. They're probably stuck in an eight nine game. They're they're a big mystery.
2: Too many too many quad threes and fours, right? That they lost they in the conference.
0: I think the winner of the Big East tournament's a two seed. I think the two others, Creighton, Seton Hall, Villanova of those three, if one of those wins, uh, they're the two seed for the two losers. I, I still think they're both on the three line.
2: So you don't think that a loss by Seton Hall to Marquette could drop into a four. Most people have Seton Hall as the last three seed right now.
0: Let me take this to the bank. Bang it. Seton Hall ain't losing to Marquette.
1: <laughs> there we go.
0: That, that'll take that out of the equation. All right. Uh, John, I, I have
2: to admit, I got a chance to see your segment the other day where you did your blind resume. It was absolutely a hoot and a holler. Everyone's been talking about it. I couldn't stop laughing, but, but you were spot on. <laughs>
0: Hold on. I'm going to do a blind resume right now. Um, You know what? I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I told
1: him not to do it, John. I said, you're just stealing material. You're just stealing material. Tell,
2: Tell Tommy and the rest of the audience, this is the time of year where you yeah. talk bubble, you talk blind resume, you're not stealing. Everybody does it. It's a lot of fun. If you're into March Madness right. and you're a junkie like John and I are, Tom, this is oh, what you do. okay, okay.
0: Right. Hey, Tommy, I think you got some laundry to do.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go put the kids to bed. You you, you guys chat
2: amongst yourselves. Am. Right. You, just, you just, you sit in the corner for a couple of minutes. John and I are going to talk. Right. I, I don't well, have the numbers. Well,
0: you know what? Go lay down on the ground. Get on the ground. All right, John.
2: So I, I wish I could put it up on the screen like you did in the in the other podcast, but I'm going to read it off to you. If you want to jot down some notes, feel free to do so. I'm going to give you two teams on the
0: bubble. John doesn't
1: jot down notes, he keeps it in his head, Mike. What are you talking about?
0: All right. Team number one. <laughs> the only notes I have in this hotel room is ta- toilet paper at the moment. <laughs> they don't have those little notepads by the phone anymore. They don't do that. This is a New York City hotel. <laughs>
2: All right, All right team, team team number 1, overall record 19 and 12, net 43, quad 1 3 and 11, quad 3 and 4 9 and 0, oh, road neutral 7 and 7, strength of record 37. Okay. Team, team 2, overall 20 and 11, one game better, net 32, quad 1 5 and 9, quad 3 and 4 10 and 1 road neutral two and 10 strength of record, almost similar 38 compared to the 37.
0: Okay. So one's a big East team and one's not. That is correct. I think that 19 and 12 is that, is that Xavier?
2: That is Xavier, my friend. Very good. That is very good.
0: (laughs) All right. So that's Xavier because they don't have any bad losses. The 10 and one against quadrant three and quadrant four. What's their net again?
2: Net was 32. To me, the number that jumps out, the two and 10 road in neutral. Two
0: and 10. That's the Rucker Scarlet Knights. <laughs> you are that is correct.
2: Johnny Fanta, everybody. Johnny Fanta. I mean, everybody's got Rutgers solidly in as an eight or nine. I'm not saying I disagree, but you got Xavier possibly playing in Dayton. And Rutgers' resume is not that far off from that, no?
0: It's not that far off at all. And and it's exactly why the Scarlet Knights are in a tough spot, because even though they won at Purdue and winning at Mackey something, Purdue's not an NCAA tournament team. They don't have a win over an NCAA tournament team away from the rack. That's problematic. And that's why I think they got to remove all doubt uh, if they really want to You know, if they really want to remove all doubt and win uh, their Big Ten tournament game, which comes against Michigan in Indianapolis, I think that's going to be tough. I would take Michigan. I still think the Scarlet Knights get in, but I don't know how they're better than a ninth seed in the tournament. I just, I just, I don't see it. Here's what I will say about Rutgers, guys. In a league as good as the Big Ten, to only lose one Big Ten home game, I think it's just one Big Ten home game that they lost. To only lose one time in this league, that's also something the committee's got to look at and say, man, we can't not have this team in. They took care of business at home in a conference as good as this one. They're in. Rutgers is a tournament team. So is Xavier. They'll both hear their names on Selection Sunday.
2: All right, John. We're going to move up to the three-seed line now. We all know what Seton Hall is, right? Seton Hall is 21-9, and nine, 15 in the net, 10 quad one wins versus seven defeats. Least amount of three and four quad games in the country, six and oh, nine and four road in neutral, sixteenth strength of record. I'm gonna give you two teams that in my opinion could be challenging the hall for that last three seed line. You tell me what you think. Line resume number one, overall record twenty-four and seven. Okay is twelve. Quad one is eight and five, quad three and four is eleven and oh road in neutrals of 500 seven and seven and the strength of record is 15.
0: Ooh, wow. Uh, this is a challenging one. Who's challenging them. Um, man, I'm, uh, this is a tough one for me cause I'm just not sure. Is it out of the big 10? I'm going to go out West, go out West, go out West with you. Go West uh, young man. Okay, so I don't think it's the Pac-12.
2: I, I, it is Oregon, so it's Oregon,
0: I, I. It's Oregon. I, okay, that's the one team. So I think they've got to win the Pac-12 tournament to really challenge Seton Hall, because I don't think that the Pac-12 offers enough for them to get up to that three line. Does the uh, head-to-head? I, does the head-to-head matchup? though, give them a leg up. It does. It does. Um, but I think that Seton Hall still has a more impressive resume because they play the least amount of Quadrant three and four games. If Oregon wins the Pac-12, let's revisit. Then they belong on the three line. But I'm going to say no. Okay, last one, uh, and I think this changed after last night. Good one. So uh,
2: overall, 24 and eight now. Net was the was nine going into that game. Quad one is now four and five. Quad three and four is 15 and 0. Road in neutral 10 and six strength, the record 24. And this is where I'm kind of challenging the validity of the net a little bit because you got a team that's number nine in the net. You would think they
0: might be in a mix for a three. Are we staying out West? We are going to stay out West. Yeah. Because where we got a net with a nine. Is this a team that that's probably on the five or the six line right now, or seven? I, I, I think it's a, they're a five or a six after last night. After last night, uh, I'm trying to think. You, you were you were singing karaoke. I'm still watching ESPN. And are we talking about BYU? That is correct. Oh
1: sir. man,
0: this John
1: Fanta from deep?
0: Yeah, I. So I really like BYU. Uh, I, do too. I do I do too. I, I mean, every time I watch them, I get more and more impressed. And I, the games that they've lost that I've watched them lose, they've lost by one or two possessions. I think they are probably a five or the six seed because their conference, it's just not a good enough league for them to get higher than that. Yeah. Well, the 15 and I right. The, the, if, the 15 games against yeah. three and
2: four, it's just not enough depth. Right? Here's my,
0: here's my question to you. If you saw Seton Hall versus BYU, what would you do? Oh, I, don't, I just don't like it. They crashed the offensive glass. Like it's nobody's business. And that's just not a good matchup for us. It's just, it isn't tough. It would be very difficult. Uh, and they shoot the three ball well. They defend. Yoli Childs is a beast. He's a player that, like, as much as Sandro Mamukalashvili is a wrinkle, Yoli Childs is a bigger one to defend. Because people, he can stretch, he can he can get inside, he can do it all. What people don't realize is they played most of the non conference without Yoli Childs. So those
2: numbers could be down a little bit. They could be a, you know, a twenty six and, and five type of team. They
0: just you know, they played San Diego State without him and only lost by three. It could be, it would be as bad of a draw as Gonzaga was in Denver. That's how much I respect BYU. Okay, Tommy, we are done with Blind <laughs> Resume. I had a blast. I'm just
1: impressed with John pulling the numbers out here, man. This is great. So before we get into the Big East tournament, John, I think we have to bring up a topic that's really starting to affect the college sports landscape, and that's the coronavirus. I mean, schools are sending their kids home early. They're going to hold their classes via the internet. I mean, earlier today, the Ivy League canceled its tournament. Do you think this is going to be the exception,
0: or is just going to be the first? Well, I, I think that we are... It, it, this all depends on the NBA and the professional leagues, because if they make the shift, which the league's meeting on Wednesday, you could really see a sudden move from college athletics to follow suit. They're not going to try to do something that the that the NBA, which is right in the thick of its season, is not doing. So, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to anybody that's affected by this or, or, or that's impacted in any way, and I mean that. Uh, what I would say, though, to follow up on this is, if you're a player, and if you're players, you live for this time of year, and I understand that the Yale campus uh, has shut down, Uh, And this is a a campus tournament. I just, I don't agree as a player, as, as student athletes, this is what you work towards and to get that taken away from you. I don't care what the circumstances is is flat out wrong. It's wrong. Uh, You have to figure something out, an alternative that works for the four schools. You're in the Northeast part of the country. There are plenty of arenas. You could play in an empty arena, play out your tournament. The kids deserve that. They work for that. And if I'm a player and I'm sweating and I rub bodies with another player, I'm constantly going on the glass with another player. I'm hitting the hardwood on a rebound. I'm sweating. I'm sometimes, sometimes I'm bleeding. There's going to be players who bleed during this championship week. You know, if you're going to call off the Ivy league tournament, the mid American tournament, and there's nothing that's precedent to say that you should be doing that? Why are you doing it? And then my question to everyone is, keeping 20,000 fans out of Madison Square Garden and having those players sweat and having them interact with people still? And then how about the fact that they're already in New York City, when they get outside the building and go back to their hotel, they're staying in a room that millions of people have stayed in. They're walking in a hotel that millions of germs have collided in. Wash your hands, put some Purell on, and figure it out. I'm I'm sorry, this is an overblown social media theory, and I think I'm, I'm I think a lot of people agree with me. We have to find a cure, and we have to find a cure fast. And it's very it's very tough. But gentlemen, my sister goes to school in Ohio, about 20 minutes away from from our about 25 minutes away from our house, and today this university sent her home and my brother's been sent home from the university of Cincinnati until April 13th. What the hell are we doing?
2: Uh, I, I, John, uh, I don't know. It's
1: not only that I, I, MIT shut its doors. Uh, I, I believe Syracuse had something going on Seton hall. So it's going on everywhere. But let let let's bring it back. I get, it. Ba- I get
0: the risk. No? I get the risk factor. I do. I, I'm not trying to I hope you guys understand and I hope the podcast listeners understand. I'm not trying to sit here and say there's not a risk factor. And I and I respect everyone's opinions and decisions. But what happens if we find a cure to this on Monday and you've canceled classes until mid April?
2: I agree. I agree. The message is inconsistent. Yale doesn't play in this tournament for the Ivy League, but you're still going to send them to the NCAA tournament where they're going to be exposed to the same elements that you're that, trying yeah. to avoid right now, right? So if, if you want to be out, be out 100%. Yale is withdrawing the Ivy League. It was withdrawing from the NCAA tournament. We're shutting everything down. And, you don't and, get to stop your conference tournament but then be a part of the big dance.
0: I'm sorry. The Ivy League, what if you had two teams tied for first? You know, what if, what if that happened? It's a big double standard there, you know, for people who have degrees and are pretty smart. Um, even smart people sometimes make mistakes.
1: They'd be doing it, They'd be holding it a debate to see who went. So, let's start talking basketball. Big East tournament. John, a month ago, we thought we knew everything we needed to know about the conference. Seton Hall, Nova, and Butler were the top teams. Creighton was quietly starting to make their run. Providence, Xavier were underperforming, but we all know how that went. Wow, what a month makes. Even DePaul and the Johnny's have, have been able to score some serious upsets, and Pat Ewan was keeping a, a seriously depleted Georgetown team competitive. Has anyone really separated themselves that far from the pack, or can anyone win this tournament?
0: Well, I think that anybody could win this tournament, any of these teams, Creighton, Seton Hall, Villanova, Providence I don't buy that any of the other teams could if there's one team that could of the other six I would pick St. John's I just think that the way that they're playing right now they beat down Creighton at Butler they put together a, an okay effort for about 25 30 minutes they just didn't finish it was Kamar Baldwin senior night they weren't going to lose that and then they beat Marquette a game that they were up 20 in as well so of the teams in the back half of the league I think there's a case to be made for St. John's and here's why Julian Champagne a stretch for, he causes matchup problems. Rasheem Dunn is at the forefront of a press that works. St. John's half-court offense is getting better. That's good news for Mike Anderson's team. It's why an NIT for St. John's this year is a big step. They were supposed to be terrible. He's had them okay. That would be my only other team. Um, If I were to do like leaders in the clubhouse to win the Big East tournament, Villanova has to be one because they've won the last three and experience matters until somebody overthrows the King. Sorry. They're, they're at the top of my list Two, I would still say Seton hall. This has been the best team in the big East all season long. If you put the complete body of work and you look at their best and you realize that they won at Wells Fargo center, I know that Creighton beat them twice, but Seton hall's non-conference was more impressive. I still would go with Seton hall, but after them, I go with Providence. The Friars are playing as well as anybody in the country right now, guys. They're
2: everybody's everybody's picking Providence now. Providence is the sexy pick, right? I mean, Steve no, Lavin picked they're, them, so Kareem picked them. Come on,
0: right? And what's kind of weird is the anti-sexy team is Butler, who faces them and could easily pick them off. Get this with Butler, they're seventeen and two on the season when they lead at the half. The two losses. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Yep. So, right. Baldwin could very well be there. They could very well be in a Big East championship game because because Kem- I just almost said Kemba Walker. Kamar Baldwin has that type of style in him. Uh, I, I think that the it's tough. I, I think the winner of the de facto the Friday night semifinal between Seton Hall and Villanova is probably the de facto title game.
1: I'm just going to remind you, John, you said the de facto championship game of the battle for Atlantis was Seton Hall, Oregon. So I just want to remind you of that one.
0: Hey, Tom, <laughs> you must have washed the colors with the white. <laughs> All
2: right, John, I'm going to burst your bubble. I like the St. John's pick, but they're not playing the tournament in Carnesecca Arena. They're playing at the Garden. They, they got some magic in that small little bandbox on
0: campus. It's true. I just think it's doable for them to beat Georgetown and then potentially to knock off... Creighton. Well, and then at that it's point, the same, yeah,
2: it's not the same Creighton team, right? So you beat Creighton without Zagorowski, you get the momentum,
0: the fans come fill the building for the semifinals. You're yeah. right. It, it could be magical. It could be magical. That's the case for St. John's. I'm going a little off the map. Do I believe Marquette can win it? No. DePaul? No. Georgetown? No. Butler hoisting a Big East championship trophy? I just I can't see it. But, but Seton Hall, Providence, Nova, those three with with Zegarowski, heard, it's tough for me to. See. Maybe Craden rallies the troops and they surprise us and they just show us that they keep going. But they have no point guard play beyond him.
2: All right, so we're all here for what the fans want to talk about, which is you know Pirate Blue. Let's get into Seton Hall specifically. Started off ten and one in conference play, finished three and four, losing those last two in you know heartbreak fashion. What do the Pirates need to work on correcting as they head into postseason play? We talked a little bit about defending the three-point
0: line, what else can they work on correcting over the course of these three games potentially? Their wing play, I think that the consistency of Jared Roden and Miles Kale has to be a, a bit better than it's been. I just don't think that – I think at times they're not getting enough on that position. And then depth. You know, you, to win in the postseason, you got to have some options. And right now I'm seeing that Kevin Willard might not trust his bench a bunch. But you know what? They're part of the reason why you've gotten here in the first place. So the bench has got to be better in the Big East tournament. When you're playing three times in as many nights, if you want to come out with a championship, it, it's got to be better. I mean, I'm just I'm just looking at the box score. And outside of Roden and Shavar Reynolds, nobody really played. Tyrese Samuel played for eight minutes. But it's got to be more than that, guys. I I know that John, good teams sometimes go seven deep. But right now, it seems like Seton Hall can only go seven deep. John, if, they've, only, they've only gone seven deep
2: since the Xavier loss. Tom and I documented it. On this week's podcast, they are five and four since the Xavier game. And if you look at all of those box scores, they've predominantly gone seven deep in all those games. He's might have tweaked it a little bit where he ran Samuel over Shravar, but he's only gone seven deep. He's essentially cut yeah. Nelson and Obiagu out of the rotation completely.
0: And the last nine have been harder than the first nine. Uh, but but the point stands they gotta be better defensively too. The perimeter deep. Not good luck. How do you
2: how do you change the philosophy is the question? Everyone's like, you gotta do this, but
0: you don't just flip a switch all of a sudden no, in, no, in tournament I, play, right? Well, that's why I started with Roden and Kale. I, I think when those two players are hitting weak side shots, it totally changes the complexion of Seton Hall offensively. Uh, you know, Roden did not have a good week. He did not have a good week. He he did not hit shots against Villanova. He was terrible in that game. And he was two of seven from the field against Creighton. He's a key piece to the puzzle. If you're only going to go seven deep, you better have some production from Roden or Kale. Well, guess what? They didn't get much of that last week. So that's something that can change and can change quickly. But but does it? I mean, Kale's defensive energy has been back, but he is he just doesn't have the confidence to yeah, shoot the ball anymore. But Roden can hit shots for this team, and he sure, can sure, and he can defend. That can happen. That that switch can turn. I think this team needed five days. Let's see what happens after five days of a layoff period. I don't think they'll get off to a slow start at the garden for whatever reason. They play at the, they play better at the garden. than They do anywhere else. It seems like. So for this team, they know what's at stake. I talked with miles Powell a little bit. He he said he's going to be like, he is gunning for, and, and why wouldn't you? It's, it's cliche for a player to say this, but I expect, you know, a Mamba mode from Mr. Right. Powell. I just, I just think you're And at the end of the day, guys, here's a change. Here's a, here's a variable thing. And Tom, I think you'll agree. Like Miles Powell has to be at his best for Seton Hall to come out with a trophy Saturday night and beyond. And until he is at his best, it's hard for us to say that Seton Hall's the best team in the Big East and gonna be a Final Four team. They're gonna go as far as he takes them. Somebody just asked me on Twitter who's the X Factor for Seton Hall. You Norman know I'm gonna answer, Miles Powell. Miles Powell, yes. You can't get
2: 15 from Powell and, and plan on going deep into the second weekend. You just, I, I agree. I, I completely agree with that. T- Tom and I debate this other point though, that if you play three intense games in three nights, that it seems to be that the biggies champion is a little bit worn out for the following week of play. Is it in Seton hall's best interest to win one and then kind of,
0: you know, rest up a little bit. They're not wired like that. I know. I, I know. I know they're not, but I think it could help them. But then again, you want to have the right momentum. You want to have the right momentum. I I say if you lose Friday, it's not the worst thing in the world to Villanova because you get a full week for Albany. But, guys, I think if they beat Villanova Friday, they'll win that championship game Saturday night. I think they need the confidence more than anything else that they can get back
2: to that that level of play, that they can be an elite Final Four team.
0: I agree.
1: Okay, John, before we let you go – It seems like the hardest working man in college basketball has had a little free time on his hands, so of course, you decided to fill it. A few weeks ago, you started your own podcast called Full Court Press with Kim Adams, basketball analyst, reporter, former D1 Hooper. You must have thought to yourself, if these Left Coast Pirates guys can do it, how hard can it really be? How's the podcast been going?
0: The podcast has been fantastic. The podcast has been fantastic. I really thought to myself, if Jerry Carino can do it, then I do. <laughs> well the jury's still out on that one there. I know. I don't know if it's yeah. Jerry's <laughs> very much on the bubble.
1: Oh. <laughs> You're
0: not cutting that Tommy. You're not <laughs> oh, envying no, it in. Keep it in. It's uh, in. the podcast is going great. We've got stories. We have a buzzer beater weekly segment that talks about something in our travels. You hit on the country. You know, for me, guys, you know, I believe Pirate Blue uh, in terms of that's where I went, Uh, but I have to cover the team like anybody else would cover the team. And I cover the Big East closely. This allows me to expand my horizons. I'm 24, I'm trying to continually expand. Uh, I love the Big East. However, I don't plan to be Mr. Big East forever. I'd like to be. Uh, versatile, and I think that this is playing to the strengths career wise. So it's a blessing to start a podcast, and it's wonderful. And I, I can proudly say that Left Coast Pirates are friends to the show. Just don't well, we forget us, little you. people, John. When you're when you're covering the <laughs> national and the Final Four someday. Well, look, I'm not little, and neither's Tom. <laughs>
2: you've
1: had some gr- you've had some great guests, John. We've listened to you when you do your Big East reviews. We listened to you on the on the Full Court Press, so we love you in any way. John, thank you so much for staying up late with us. You brought the energy, as always. You're a great friend to the podcast, and we can't wait to hear you.
0: I'm going to go take a shower.
2: (laughs) John Fanta, everybody. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcast, which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Marcus Tony L, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Jazeri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. <laughs>